Hey, we are live on YouTube. I'm Bill Gross, theLAprobateexpert.com. Uh, I'll say I'm a probate expert when it comes to real estate, in particular in Los Angeles, California, and particularly in real estate sales are sold at court confirmation. Um, so I'm really excited to have today. My, I, I bill myself as the LA probate expert as it relates to real estate sales, as a real estate agent for investors. And I tell people, I believe I've seen more sales in the last two years before COVID than anybody. I used to go to court every day and see one or two daily. In the course of a year, I probably saw three or 400 sales and seen you know, with attorneys, but I'm not an attorney. And in that sense, I don't really know much about the pleadings and the, and the litigation. I don't really get into that part of the business, but we're lucky to have here today um, a guy who really is a probate expert in LA County, one of the more active and prolific um, probate attorneys in Los Angeles, California, Jeff Condon. So welcome, Jeff. Nice to see you. We have you muted, unfortunately. You got to turn your microphone on. Oh, your microphone's not on. You're muted. We can't hear you. Are you talking to somebody else? Jeff, I don't know if you can hear me. Jeff, can you hear me? You're muted. You know what? Uh, I went to college. I know how to unmute. I just elected not to, to show my uh, disdain for, uh, for, for you and for everybody here. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I think you only went to UCLA, though, right? Only? Okay, yeah. Bill. You know, we, this could have been a nice, friendly chat, but I'm afraid <laughs> you've thrown down the gauntlet. And now it's going to be uh, pulling teeth, trying to get some good information out of me. By the way, you, I, I didn't wear it, but here it is. Pink Speedo. Yeah. yeah. Now, so <laughs> so I know is. Jeff because Jeff and I both belong to the largest adult swim team in America, Southern California Aquatic. Jeff is at the far end with the fast swimmers, and he can fit into a pink Speedo and, wear, and look manly. I'm at the far end with people who are just barely getting exercise. And uh, so a little different, but I, so I met him swimming. And then one day at court, I saw him dress like this. I said, well, hold it. Where's the speedo? He said, send him my suit. <laughs> I, I know, Bill, you know, people are going to say, oh my God, Jeff Condon, attorney, showing pink speedo. Man, this guy's career is over. How dare he do such licentious things during a public broadcast of some kind? Well, I will tell you why. Yes. Because this, this is, this is the uniform that I wear yes. for my daily practice. See you, kid. Yes. Uh, this is who I am. <laughs> this is who I am. That's true. In the That's pool, true. I am type A. It's everything to me. Whereas here, without the Speedo, it's I'm type Z and whatever happens, happens, right? As long as I, <laughs> as my father used to say, Jeff, you know, you don't have to be making the killing, but as long as you're uh, making a living to such a degree that you don't have to count your pennies every time you want to take your wife out to dinner, that's all you, that's all you really need. And that really influenced me a lot, actually. So, well, And you follow Jeff on Facebook. You know he regularly takes his wife out to dinner. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> we do like food. We like talking about food. In fact, if you wanted to turn this into a food thing, man, I would be, that would just be great. <laughs> um, well, let's get there. Let's get there. So let's okay. go back on those. So you, you grew up in Southern California. Uh, Bill, I'm a, I'm a native of Southern, I'm a native of Santa Monica, born and raised 
and uh, still work here, worked in one firm in my entire existence. It was a firm established by my father, Gerald Condon, the late, great Gerald Condon. Um, and I am um, uh, now a sole practitioner, uh, but uh, still of the same firm. Uh, he built a really great book of business and I was able to take that, run with it and uh, service the clients that he had. Uh, especially the children of the clients because the, uh, the clients would, would die and uh, I would help the children, uh, their adult children actually, uh, in terms of administering and carrying out the inheritance instructions contained in the trust. And by the way, just because I'm here and just because you're here and I, and I am a shameless self-promoter, uh, just, you know, just because so the people who are here, you know, if they're saying, God, this Jeff is insufferable, just wait. Uh, I know what the hell I'm talking about in terms of estate planning because I have written the best-selling estate planning book in American publishing history. That is not BS. It's called wow. Beyond the Grave, the Right Way and the Wrong Way of Leaving Money to Your Children and Others. And then it's lesser, but uh, no less esteemed uh, follow-up book, The Living Trust Advisor, Everything You Need to Know About Your Trust. That were um, Everything You and Your Financial Planner Need to Know About Your Living Trust. So, uh, so Bill just didn't pluck me off the street. This is something I know about. Um, and in terms of the administration of trusts and estates, that's where you folks come in, right? That's where, uh, especially in the uh, probate arena, because I think that's Bill's forte, um, is the selling and administration of real estate after clients die. Right, Bill? That's what uh, the greatest hit of what we're talking about today. Well, there's actually two parts. That is part in, in, mm -hmm. in the majority. I also want to spend a little time on avoiding probate by proper estate planning. And okay. I know you're very active in that as well. So let's, well, let's talk about estate administration. Sure. One was, I've host a, a, uh, this call weekly and primarily with real estate agents um, who the number one thing they ask me is how do I get relationships with attorneys that they'll refer me business? And I say, oh. well, that's the wrong question to ask. How can you help families and attorneys with their business and that you get business back? But you must, you've been in the business a while. You, you, you handle a lot of assets that need to be sold. Mm -hmm. You must be solicited by real estate agents, mm -hmm. I would think, hourly, yeah. daily. Um, you, uh, absolutely right. Um, two parts of your statement. One, that, yes, I do get... Um, a number of solicitations for listings. Uh, some of them are very uh, delicate and, uh, and diplomatic, while others are, you know, it runs the gamut. Others are mercenary. Um, I just had a mercenary call today. Um, I, I don't mean to, I, I'm, I'm hoping nobody is considering me casting any uh, aspersions on this. Okay. Listen, because yes, the other part ask. is, the other part is that you have to get in front of the attorney. You have to get that, let that attorney get to know you in order for that, uh, putting it this way, you got to get in that attorney's face, whatever your style is in getting from, getting to have that attorney know who you are, whether it's by email, whether it's by sending the calendar or the notepad, whether it's by phone calls, um, whether it's um, a, you know, a phone call saying, hey, let me take you to lunch or something like that. I'm kind of past that. I don't need to be taking a lunch. If you bring me a cookie, you're mine forever. 
you know, I'm yours forever because <laughs> cookies is why I swim in the first place. Wow. So um, actually that's the number one reason uh, or number two reason. Um, so uh, um, I don't know if I'm being too articulate, you know, articulate here, but, or, or if I'm being inarticulate, but you really got to stay in the face of the attorney because it's the attorney who, you know, publishes the notice of, you know, notice of petition to administer a state in a probate proceeding. And that's when the, 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 pro, the probate listings go up. And that's when I get the calls from the brokers to say, hey, is there any property that's going to be sold? Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'd be doing that too. Um, so yeah, Bill, um, that's, you, it's, it's communication and it's almost constant communication. Um, when I say constant, not every day, but just when the opportunity arises. Describe for me, um, because I, I, uh, I teach this process to salespeople all the time, but I speak on your behalf to salespeople. That's a big deal when you're referring out listing. It's not like you're just giving out a listing. This could potentially affect your relationship with your estate, which could be a lot more business than just one particular house. Give me an idea when you do refer a listing to somebody, mm -hmm. what's that mean to you? What's at risk for you if that goes wrong? How does that reflect on you if there's a problem at some point? Well, that's a great point, Bill. If um, I refer the case, and in this case, we're saying that it's a um, probate sale. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about sales in the trust administration context yet um, because those aren't subject to court approval. But if I am referring a case to a broker uh, that broker has to be pre-qualified by me in, in, the, in the arena, in the context of probate sales. Hmm. I, I just can't refer a, a listing to someone who's never had or, uh, or only has had maybe one or two opportunities in the, in the probate sales arena because it's intricate. It can be complex. There are different rules. It's not your ordinary garden variety listing of property for sale. There are things to know. Um, so if I am giving you a listing, um, the thing I'm going to ask you to tell me is what experience do you have for uh, pro uh, probate sales? And that's really important because if that... Uh, Probate sale. Well, two reasons. One is kind of selfish, but one is kind of substantive. The selfish reason is that if you do, if the broker does not have probate sales experience, that makes my job a lot more involved. Right. Makes my job tougher. It means I have to get more. Uh, I have to get more into the weeds on that sale than I than I really should have to. And then if I'm spending more time on that then I can't get to the cases uh, or other cases or spend time going home and having lunch during the day and falling asleep on the couch because I get up so damn early to go swimming every morning at 5.30 or whatever. So from a selfish perspective, that's to help keep, uh, keep me from uh, my, um, it's to keep me going and keep, and so I don't have to think about it, essentially. The only time I would be involved is, is essentially perusing uh, uh, offers, counter offers and things like that. Um, okay. And, but the second reason is of course, more substance. Uh, if uh, you have a, a broker, whoever, you know, if I've referred to a broker who hasn't done too many, 
and they're not aware about pre-qualifying the, the, the buyers, or if they're uh, not aware of just the myriad things that need to be known, I know I'm being overly general, then that could impact on the sale substantively and the sale could uh, be lost as a result. And that makes me look bad. And that could come back to haunt me. Not talking about malpractice, uh, but I'm just talking about losing face in front of a client. And uh, you know, my uh, reputation is everything, okay. notwithstanding showing my pink Speedo uh, for the world to see. So much for my reputation. But uh, if, uh, if, it goes, if, if the sale goes sour, because of a, uh, of a substantive mistake by the uh, listing agent in the probate arena, then um, that could impact on my business. It will certainly impact on the sale and it would impact directly on the client. Um, I've, I've, lost a few, I've lost a few sales because of various things that went wrong that were preventable. And we've lost buyers and the properties had to go back on the market. And maybe we didn't get as much as we would have gotten before. So it is, there are cautionary tales if the broker doesn't know what he or she is doing in the probate context. Can you share one or two um, of the mistakes you've seen that you're, maybe you've seen other more commonly or just that you're, that come to mind of, well, let's see. If a realtor had known this, it would have avoided a problem or? Uh, let me see. This is where I get to him and haw until I think of one. Um, there was a broker who, okay, this happened a couple of times. Uh, there was a broker who assure, gave all the assurances in the world that this was a uh, pre-qualified buyer and that this buyer had the funds in an account that were uh, necessary for the entire purchase price or that, there, that, or that there was a surefire loan contingency that would have been, you know, a loan contingency that would have been removed surefire because no problem getting a loan. So based on that representation, we go to court, get a sale confirmed, get a court order confirming the sale to that purchaser, and then the loan doesn't come through or the, uh, there was some shenanigans or funny business with the, um, what's the letter called that the banks give a letter of- um, Your qualification, pre-approval? Yeah, qual yeah pre-approval letter. And the sale doesn't go through, but what do we have now? Now we have an order where we have to now go back to court and undo that order, undo that sale. And in the meantime, the property is uh, off the market for that time and we're losing uh, potential sales. That's actually happened a few times. So that's why it is so important to pre-qualify these buyers. And, um, and you can't be shy in this business, as you know, Bill, when you're in court that day, you know, and, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, you're there and you, you're right before the hearing, you have to say in the most booming, loud voice, is there anyone here on the sale of this property in whatever, Northridge or whatever? Okay, now you have to haul that buyer, that, that person, if anybody raised their hand out, get a, look at all the checks, look at all the, look at the, pre, the letters, you know, make sure that they have enough checks to come up with the 10% of not only the coming in the court bid, but the potential overbid, that's all gotta be there. Cause you just don't want a situation where the, um, you have to go back into court. And then what happens if you go back into court, that's more attorney's fees. The client says, Jeff, it, you know, you screwed up. You should have checked on that. 
And therefore the client's going to give me a hard time on not paying me the fees that I had to for the services that I uh, uh, expended to prepare the petition to revoke the sale. So I'm out, you know, because I'm not going to get into an argument. Client's probably right. Should have done a better job. Anyway, so like I said, the more experience the broker has in these sales, yeah. the easier my job is and the more yeah. confidence I have in yeah. that the job will be a uh, um, proficient, lack of word, but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, no, it was great. I think, I, I, and I hope we're listening here. You, you feel the stress and pain in those words, right? Because mm-hmm. we think, oh, what's the big deal? You know, as real estate agents, occasionally buyers fall out, you sell the house, but there's a lot more to it mm-hmm. in court. You go back to the judge and tell him it fell out. I've seen the judge isn't happy. The judge never is like, oh, that's no big deal. Mm-hmm. I got nothing better to do than yeah, right. cancel my order and do another one, right? No, sure. No, it's, uh, there is, I don't know how common this delusion is, but you know, the thinking of the layperson is that they can just flag a, ju- a judge walking down the courtroom hallway during the lunch hour and saying, hey, look, <laughs> the sale fell through. Can you just sign here revoking or rescinding that prior order? Doesn't yeah. exactly work like that. Anytime you bring an action with, to with the court, you know, it's, a, it's like a lawsuit. It's a lawsuit to have a, a meaning you want the court to do something or to order something right. and to get right. a court to do or order something. Right. They've got to bring process. Right. And that process ain't cheap. And the process right. is a pain in the ass. Right. So, uh, and I'm just trying to think of some other things, Bill. To, um, you know, I will tell you that, you, you know, I've seen you in court. You're in court for these probate seals way the hell more than I am. It's been a long time since I've done a, uh, not a long time, but um, it's, it's intermittent at best these days when I'm uh, um, in court for a uh, probate sale. And when I am, it's so, it's so quote unquote rare, they're fun because you're not there for anything adversarial. You get to feel like a big shot going up there and saying, hey, any overbidders? Oh, overbidders, <laughs> come on up. This is great. Oh, yeah. I had one overbidding situation. It went on for 45 minutes. It was a property in Santa Monica Canyon. It was owned by the guy who played Otis the Drunk on the Andy Griffith show, Hal Smith. So he died and he had a property that was like a compound. It was like several different houses and, you know, surrounding uh, uh, a center area that was big and substantial. There was a lot of, it was like, six or seven different people, different units living there. And it was like a big, happy, extended family. I don't think they were related. And they wanted to keep that lifestyle going. So they went crazy trying to get the financing to buy that place so that that, so that, that idealistic situation wasn't, um, wasn't uh, rent asunder. So they tried, but there was one, one guy who just said, I am, will not be outbid. I will not be outbid. And it just went back, forth, back, forth. No kidding, 45 minutes. Um, that was exciting. <laughs> and those are fun. But most of the times, there's no overbidding. Um, when the real estate market is hot, maybe. Maybe. And then there's the clients who will say, well, you know, the probate clients, the executor, administrator, they'll say, well, Jeff, you know, here we, you know, we, we know we're going to sell this property. So should we sell it in court? Or should we sell it out of the probate court context? And so I have to give them the, the spiel, which is, well, if you sell it in the probate court context, 
um, you are uh, you get the opportunity to have the property overbid. And so you'll realize more money than the going into court bid. Whereas if you sell it outside the probate, then you're just getting, you know, one, one offer, one solid, one solid final offer without the benefit of the back and forth, back and forth spirited bidding. Um, you know, so, but a lot of times there is no spirited bidding. It's just, you want it? Okay, great. Anybody else? Nope. Okay. Um, and then, uh, but when you do sell it in the probate court context, the lawyer gets more fees, extraordinary fees. And I have no objection to that, but I am doing due diligence. I am telling my client, hey, yeah, sure. I would love that. I would get more fees, but it's up to you. Um, so a lot of times they'll say, okay, thanks. Now we'll sell it outside. Uh, you're getting enough condom. We'll sell it outside the probate court context after the property has been distributed to them. Um, okay. So, but the, it, it may not be subject to overbidding there, but still that's their choice because now they're saving attorney's fees. Right. Yeah. I, I always feel like they're getting, my experience with the, I, I track all the sales in court in LA County. I have a spreadsheet, I think of everyone's been filed in the last two or three years. I find the properties, um, just the numbers are about one in five get overbid. Mm -hmm. And the final sales price is about three or 4% below what I would call the retail price, mm -hmm. meaning buyers who have to put up 10% cash wave contingencies and then wait for the court date are going to get about three or 4% discount to the market for the benefit of being that buyer who goes through mm -hmm. that whole process. Yeah. Right. That's just huh. my, that's my statistical analysis for what it's worth. Well, you would know because you're the king well, of these probate sales. Cause every time I'm in court, there's bill gross walking <laughs> up and down the hallway going from one courtroom to the other on the probate sales. And I'm just beyond impressed because mm -hmm. not only does it show locomotion and energy, but it also shows genuine interest in the subject. And mm -hmm. you're almost uh, passionate, I would say. And I actually, I would not even almost, I would not say almost, you are very passionate. Look what you're mm -hmm. doing here. Look how mm -hmm. much, you know, it's effort to do this, this process of bringing your information to to folks to maintain this uh, um, this, this uh, broadcast mm -hmm. to uh, keep all the marketing doing that you're doing. Thanks. My hat's off to you because, you know, I I, I, you know, I was taught this business by my dad, and he was the king of estate planning marketing. Right. He was doing living trust seminars in the '70s when no one else in America was doing them. Wow. Uh, he was before his time. He was the one that got these books started. He's the oh. one that um, you know taught me this end of the game of acquiring clients. So and you know so anything marketing related, I can just I can tell you we've done uh, call you know uh, columns, uh, radio programs, television programs, books, ma um, magazine articles, um, webcasts, all those things. Um, getting old and cranky and curmudgeonly these days. So I'm doing less and less of them. And to be quite frank, because I've written these books, I don't have to work as hard because right. people say, oh, we want to come to the author of these books. He's supposedly, if he's written the books, he must be an expert, must be an expert on the subject, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I don't have to work as hard, but you, you're working your ass off, buddy. And I've always admired that. I never told you this. I've always admired hmm. that about you. It's, it's energy. Yes. How nice. Now, I don't have the energy at 5.30 to put on a pink Speedo and swim as fast <laughs> as you do. I'm saving some of that energy for the rest of the day. That's the reason why. 
Maybe if you slept in a little bit, you'd have a little more energy. I don't know. Not well, you know, now, now I'm a 6.30 guy. I got out Ooh. of, I see, I, uh, about nine weeks, to, nine weeks ago, I fracked, I, I was just running with my dog, tripped and fell on my own feet, fractured my rib, fractured my elbow, radial neck fracture. That, God, it was horrible. And that was, and that put me out of the water for a time. And then I was just doing my own swimming you know, with at the Pally pool and Santa Monica lanes and, you know, using one arm and kicking, whatever, doing Peloton. And, uh, so I got, okay. So I was, you know, so that was like, whatever, got back in the water about, you know, in SCAC three weeks ago. I'm sure these people are so interested. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> then last Tuesday, I was in the emergency hospital for a kidney stone episode and it's still there. Wow. It's still painful. And I have to go into surgery on July 2nd to get oh, it out because it's too massive for it to come out on its own. And July 2nd is the earliest day. This is so, this is such an overshare, but you know, this is me. So anyway, um, I've been, you know, not going to feel like doing it, but so the point is that I'm out of the whole El Segundo uh, thing of going, showing up there at five 45 in the morning. So now I'm a Santa Monica guy at six 30. Wow. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about <laughs> when you would or would not refer a client to a, to a real estate agent, but I presume sometimes mm-hmm. you're engaging with a client who has property of some sort and they'll say, Hey, my best friend, my neighbor, my, this, my, that is a realtor. We want to use them. Is your bar for vetting them as high or do you allow them a little more leeway? Cause it's their decision. How does that work? Um, and then oftentimes these, these estates have multiple heirs. So they have a fiduciary responsibility mm-hmm. And you're you know, responsible for the estate to yeah. see that. Yeah. How does that work? I'll tell you how I get my point across to them. Um, you know, I'm going to be 60 and I'm a world famous author. So I feel like I've given, I've gotten the leave or self permission to be cranky and curmudgeonly to my clients. Mm-hmm. And as part of that crankiness, I will state to them in no uncertain terms using profanity to make the point across. And by the way, I do disclaim to them. I said, is it okay if I use profanity because I'm trying to make a point? I'm not going to use it here. They said, absolutely. Okay. And in a profanity laden spew, I will tell them that their buddy, neighbor, neighbor's friend, whomever, just better have the sufficient amount of experience of probate sales in the uh, in a uh, of probate sales that I am require in order for me to be comfortable with them using it. Because once I convey it to them in such a profane manner, mm. they realize that I'm serious. Now, having said that, I will say that, and by the way, nobody gets offended because I disclaim and uh, uh, that I'm going to use this profanity. And number two, they like the fact that I care enough about them to make the point emphatically Mm. using that. Mm. So what do they do? Okay, Jeff, got you. But you know what? This is my brother-in-law. I got to use it. Okay. Well, I've warned him. I warned him. And now I'm just going to have to presume that, uh, you know, I mean, unless they're quick learners, that I'm going to just be in a position of uh, having to be the uh, point man and sort of the, the sort of the captain of the ship 
constantly giving advice and instruction and, um, and uh, yeah, advice and instruction to these brokers. Now, is that insulting? Because is that presumption insulting? I just make that presumption as a sweeping generalization. And I then I'd like to see if I'm surprised or not as to whether or not they're handling it competently. And I will tell you that let's say I've done, you know, that's, you know, how many probate sales with brokers that I feel did not have the sufficient experience. I would say that if there were 20 of them, I would say that I have not had to get on the phone with five of them, wow. five of them. So, and the other 15 were ranged, my involvement ranged from mild to extreme. So it just depends. So anyway, so that's how I deal with it. And as you can see, I've got a lot of personality coming across here and some other lawyer hearing me go, come on, Jeff, you're a, you're a, you're a member of the bar. You're a lawyer, act professional. No. Okay. I gotta be me. I do me, you do you, you know? So, but I, I, I have used that method in order to really, really get across the point that these people need to know that, um, the person that they're bringing in tow to me to bless them, their participation in the probate sale. Um, can't remember how I started the sentence, but anyway, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. no, I hear what you're saying. I think, look, it frustrates me when I see an agent, a real estate agent take one class, mm-hmm. they get a little certificate, they're a probate expert. No, you're not a probate mm-hmm. expert. You took a class. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. If somebody, if somebody out there saying, well, Jeff, you know, how are we supposed to get the experience if you don't throw us that business? Well, okay. I get that. I get that. There's a first time for everything. There's a second time for everything. That's fine. And I have guided those folks along happily because, you know, this, it's, it's not, I don't think I'm, you know, being charitable. I just think, well, okay. You know, there's gotta be a first time for everybody. But in terms of the one that I feel comfortable with, how many sales, I would like them to have at least 10 sales under their belt, 10 such probate sales uh, in order for me to have that confidence. But you're at the higher end of the food chain, right? I mean, I mean, you're of the, of the attorneys who do trust in probate mm-hmm. work in LA County in terms of volume and experience, there's a lot of, the attorneys only did one. Oh, let me mm-hmm. share with you a number. When I download all the probate cases in LA County, 95% of the cases, the attorney has done one probate or less in the last 12 months. Oh, is that right? Yeah. God, I so would never... you see a handful that you know your colleagues, and you guys are all friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was yeah. at the top of the food chain, and I could name them and you could name them. Paul right. Horn, who teaches a real estate class, is one of the more prolific also. Um, but 95% of the cases, the attorney hasn't even ever looked at probate in us before. Oh yeah, that's right. That is, that's that's where, you get your, that's where you get your first deal is with that attorney, not with you. Yeah, no, that that's correct. You know, we we the it, it's a big world, but in the probate bar, it's a small world. We all either know each other or we know each other's names, or we've right. we, and we've seen each other in the hallway. We've had cases with each other, against each other, together, whatever. So we we all know who's you know who's been around and not. And, um, you know, if we see quote unquote fresh meat, okay, well, hey, welcome to the bar, you know, and it's a learning by doing thing. I, you know, who am I to talk? You know, I, I, I had a great, I learned at the feet, so to speak of my dad. 
Um, he, you know, it, it's, I did not go into some other person's firm and, you know, um, you know, and, and bide my time. I went right away in there and it just threw me to the wolves. Okay, learn by doing, you know, sink or swim, that kind of thing. What a great education that was. Um, a lot of people don't have that opportunity. So uh, lucky me. Uh, but if, uh, but you have to, you have to get wet sometime. So look at the di dichotomy bill that I'm expressing here. On one hand, I'm saying, oh my God, no, if you don't have 10 probate sales, forget it. I don't even want to know you. I'm going to, you know, drive you, you know, to the ends of the earth. Uh, on the other hand, I'm saying, hey, you know, how are you going to get the experience without having that first dip in the water? So I do, like I said, speak in sweeping generalizations and absolutes, but uh, I'm nicer you know, uh, in my real life than I am on here. Cause I know I have to be somewhat emphatic on here because I, cause I need to, kn to know that I'm not being boring and uh, that I'm somewhat entertaining because otherwise it's such a dry and boring subject that people would just fall asleep in the middle of it. So there. <laughs> <laughs> well, one way I teach agents to get their first deal is, you know, working with our clients who may not know they need a probate attorney. And helping them understand what that looks like and guiding them through the process gives them the kind of the opportunity to work with the client and the attorney. Mm -hmm. The other way, though, I, I teach quite a bit is reaching out to our client base to get involved with them into estate planning to avoid probate. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've learned myself is when I call you know clients, prospects, sellers, owners of property, and say, "Hey, by the way, notice you don't have a trust; you're holding title in your name." Have you, do you, are you aware of what a living trust is? Are you aware of the concept? Have you looked at it? On the presumption that 95% that of the time, they're better off with a bad living trust than no living trust. That's my mm -hmm. personal yeah. experience, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. I know you also work on the preventing probate part, which is estate planning. Yeah. For the sole purpose of avoiding living trust. Yeah. yeah. So, that's, that's, that, that's the bread and butter, Bill, of, of my business. It's setting up inheritance plans for clients and then carrying out those inheritance plans after clients die. And those plans are usually in the form of a document called the living trust. And there's been, a, you know, everybody and their mother's got a living trust. Everybody and their mother's been to a living trust seminar and people are sick to death of hearing about it. But just in a very brief nutshell, living trust is like a bucket. You take your assets, you put title of your assets into the bucket, you put them in there. And this bucket comes along with a set of instructions. And the set of instructions is like 60 or 70 pages long. And these instructions say, here's what you can do with the assets while they're in the bucket. Well, since you're setting up the bucket and the instructions, you do anything you want. It's yours, do whatever, throw them in the street, give them to some guy walking down the street, buy, sell, transact, repair, exchange, whatever you wanna do, invest, sell, whatever. Then, these instructions say what happens with the assets in the bucket after the death of the person who set it up. Those are the inheritance instructions. And someone is, is, is named in those instructions as the one to be the delivery boy, to carry out those inheritance instructions, to carry out those terms. That person is called the successor trustee. Now, the successor trustee's instructions may involve, whether they're in there or not, the selling of real estate, the selling of property. I will tell you that in anecdotally, at least in my, my experience, because that's what anecdotally is, it's in my experience, <laughs> that 
if you're talking about just the family home and three recipients of that home after the death of the person who set up the bucket, you know, mom and dad, they set up the bucket together, they set up the trust, dad dies, everything goes, stays in the trust, here's mom, mom's alive, mom dies. One house to th amongst three kids, everything to the three kids in equal shares. Well, how's that gonna work? You know, maybe one kid wants to keep the house, one kid wants to sell, the other one wants to live there, who knows? Um, but ultimately, ultimately, I would say anecdotally, eight times out of 10, that family home is sold after the, after the death of the parent. So there is an opportunity for a sale there and an opportunity for the, uh, for the brokers to stay in the face of the lawyers and say, hey, you know, hate to sound so crass. And there's no such thing as, as being ghoulish or crass when you're talking to an estate planning lawyer. This is not a business in death, but we use death terminology all the time. We're not afraid of it. We don't tap dance around it. So if the brokers wanted to say, hey, you know, I'm this broker, that broker, I'd like, hey, we want to come and say hi to you. And ultimately, I'd like to know if there's any uh, deaths of clients that you've had that you know where the property is going to be sold. And I like that personally. I like the not, no beating around the bush. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to be delicate with me. Um, and I think you don't have to be delicate with any other attorney who does what I do. So it's an opportunity for a sale there. Um, it's rare when the family home is kept. And that's usually when there's only one child or you have two children and both of them agree to, to do the family home. However, Bill, as you know, Prop 19 now means there's going to be more sales of real estate because a lot of the times it's the property tax tail that wags the dog. Correct. As far as the kids being able to keep that property or not. Property taxes may be too high, especially uh, in this, you know, in the West side area where the property values will exceed the $1 million parent to child reassessment exclusion. Right. Boy, what a game changer that was, Bill. Right. Wow. Now, you, as an attorney, we as realtors have to constantly say, we can't give legal advice, we can't give tax advice. Yeah. As an attorney, you're interpreting the law. Mm -hmm. um, where where do you, are you able to talk about tax implications in detail or do you refer them to CPAs for the tax part of that? Well, as uh, I think we all know a little knowledge is dangerous and I know a little something about everything, but I am not an accountant, I'm not a CPA. Um, I don't do my own income tax returns. I barely look at my income tax returns. I sign where my CPA tells me to sign. So I, so what I do is I say, well, here's what I think based on what I've experienced. However, having said that, go talk to your CPA. Yeah. Go talk to your CPA. But here's the thing, Bill. Here's, you know, I'm I'm just this highfalutin attorney, right? Sitting here in a, you know, behind a desk in a small office building on you know, Sentinel and Ocean Park Boulevard, right? I'm not in some century city tower. So I use the term highfalutin facetiously and sarcastically. I'm denigrating myself. So uh, I'm sitting here and are people, you know, people are not used to talking with the lawyer. People are not used to calling me up and saying, hey, I want to talk to you about this or that, or because they're be afraid they may be getting billed or they've never had to deal with the lawyer before because they've never been divorced, they've never been sued, they've never had, you know, set up a corporation, they've never, you know, 
establish an LLC, whatever. So sometimes people's first experience with attorneys is when they talk to someone like me. Um, so the thing is, and Bill, you know, I completely forgot my point. I was just so being so self-congratulatory on how accessible I am that I cannot remember my point. I think it has something to do with the fact that you can call me and you can talk to me. Yeah, that's it. That people can call and talk to me and just get free information on the phone in order for me to determine if there's any work there or if there's any um, uh, way to refer the work to somebody else if I can't do that work. I think that was my point. I'm not, I'm not, maybe I've been far afield from what we were talking about. But anyway, getting back to the tax point, yeah, I do not, uh, I don't do taxes. So I always tell them, go talk to your CPA just to cover my behind, even if I think I'm right about a particular tax question. And you do, you do create um, trust documents you mentioned. Do people call, call you and do you do a consult before to see if it's a fit and to get an yeah, idea yeah, of yeah. the pricing? Yeah, always. So on your website, I see you have a, a website that has different ways to reach you. And so that would be the best way. If somebody was interested in pursuing a trust question with you, that'd be yeah. the best place to go to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and the consultation is free. Uh, not because I'm such a great guy, uh, but because I can't, I can't ethically charge you a fee to tell you what the fee is going to be for your trust. And only in that first consultation, am I able to glean what your needs are and what your needs are not. So who, you know, I know there's estate planning lawyers who do charge for that. They're saying, Hey, you're yes. lucky to be in front of me. You should, yes. uh, you know, I'm going to charge you a consultation fee of X. Never. Under, I, 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 you know, people want money, right? Okay. I just never, never did. I, I learned this business from my dad. And my dad says, no, you, you know, you may have 10 consultations a day and they all have to be free because you cannot ethically charge uh, just to tell them what, you know, just to, just to ascertain uh, what their needs are. And then from there, whether it's a reviewing an existing living trust or establishing a new trust, I'm able to determine uh, what the needs are and what the needs are not. So, and, you know, some people will say, I'll say, you don't need a trust. Nah. Take, thanks for coming. Or they may need a trust. If I guess the general rule is if you have a house, you should have a living trust. If you have any real estate, you should have a living trust. That's the general rule of thumb. Even if you have a piece of real property in the Salton Sea worth $60,000, you should have a trust. That's the general rule of thumb. Because it's less um, costly to do that than it is to probate that sale. Yeah. Well, in, in that case, a $60,000 property, there's a summary probate proceeding that's not full blown, right. but, um, uh, but it's still a court proceeding. Yeah. So, uh, I, so, yeah. I might argue with one point, which is I, maybe in your world, because you're an attorney, you're in it, you've heard about living trusts and you've been to seminars. I, I am surprised at how many of my clients don't hold property in a trust, mm -hmm. have not been to a seminar, how hard it is to get them to go to seminars. I've, I've worked with various attorneys, you know, like you, I've met you and we've talked about your book in the past, you know, uh, people, everybody's busy. I, I don't think they really understand the difference. I had a client who had, who was a real estate investor who passed with hundreds of properties, not in a trust, um, 28 in California that we sold through probate court. Mm -hmm. um, just unbelievable. But you would think, how could this guy have not known 
and just he was busy. It was just one well, of those things. Or they have a trust, but the asset was not in the trust at the time of death. So now that trust, that, that asset has to be probated into the trust. Right. Um, that I'm getting those almost four or five times a week. Wow. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It's, it's that much. I had three meetings like that this week already. Wow. Well, it's Thursday, but uh, they ultimately find out that, for example, that client set up a trust. They put their house in the trust. They're living as, with, as, you know, with title as trustees of their trust. And then the clients will refinance their property. And for some reason, the title company or the lender says, we want that property out of the trust before we're going to have it uh, refinanced, before we're going to you know, issue the title insurance policy or whatever. Yep. Okay, so they, the escrow company prepares a deed, it takes it out of the trust, and the refinance takes place. But then nobody puts it back in and nobody calls me to tell me and say, hey, we refinanced the property, we got to put it back in. Right. And... Um, I've had one of those this week. I've had a couple this week where it just involves substantial bank accounts. So now we got to use the pour over will. Pour over will is a will that's is signed with every single living trust. It's a will that says if something is not in the trust at the time of death, it's left to the trust after death. But to get it into that trust, there has to be a probate proceeding to do that. Right. So there you go. More attorney's fees, more hassles, more delays, more all that. So the point is not only to have a trust, but to make sure that the assets that are supposed to be in there are in there. Not every asset is supposed to be in there. Assets that are self-executing, like beneficiary assets, like insurance policies or pension plans or KIOs or IRAs that have beneficiaries on them, those are not in the trust. But substantial bank accounts, substantial brokerage accounts, uh, LLC membership interests, partnership interests, all of that, those need to be in the trust in order for the main purpose of the trust, which is a probate avoidance to take effect. That was, a, that was good. I think I redeemed myself for having forgotten what I was talking about before. <laughs> that was good stuff. You, you know, you know, I'm going to be thinking about that tonight. Like these people are going to go, <laughs> Jeff, maybe you were good at one time, but you're such an idiot. Oh my God. How dare you lose your track of thought? Forget it. Forget it. I can see that now. I'll have think, to swim that out tomorrow. I think everybody is still thinking about you in the pink speedo. I don't think everybody's really paying attention to any of this. Oh, you, oh you're um, saying you want to see it again? There it is. <laughs> Woo! Well, you? I, I showered with you, I think, uh, five days a week for a couple of years. So I've seen more. I've seen less than the speedo. I don't want to go into that. That would be that's uh, uh, dignified. I like to say that I shower with Bill Gross. Uh, <laughs> I um, that like I say before, yeah. that's the real you. That, that's the real me. This is just the yeah. uniform. As a matter yeah. of fact, I put this on just for this talk. Normally I'm in like a t-shirt or, a, or, or if I'm dressing up, a shirt with a collar on it, like a Lululemon shirt or a polo shirt or something like that. You know, I used to, um, good friends with uh, Dr. Roy Blumenstock, who's, who swims with us at SCAC back at Culver. Yeah. And I, I would meet his wife uh, at social events. I'd say to her, you know, I see your husband naked three or four times a week. I'm wondering <laughs> if you see him naked more than I do, but that's a whole nother, it's the swimming thing is a bit much. Um, you know, one, of the, one of the things that you and I have said before is, gee, I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. Exactly. I ran into swimmer people and they exactly. said, Jeff, hi, hi, Jeff. I go, exactly. sorry, I don't. I even if I've been swimming up with for 10 I know. years. I know. It's so like and the women, you, and women with hair down because they have the cap on, I, yeah. that was impossible. Bill, even you. I mean, yeah. you have a 
a very striking figure, striking <laughs> figure. And I still didn't recognize you when I saw you out of the water the first time in court. That's true. Right. So um, a couple of quick questions people put in the chat box. Um, um, property held in the LLC, does it flow to trust upon death? I think you just answered that question, which is no, you need to set it up where the ownership is held by the trust. Otherwise, it would have to be probated theoretically. The, the, what happens is that the property is owned by the LLC and the operating agreement provides that the LLC membership shares are owned by the trust. If it's set up that way. Uh, right, Or, but it, uh, let's say a person has a property just in their names alone. Right. And they pro transfer the property to their trust. Okay, just by a deed. Then they later set up the LLC. And in the LLC operating agreement, it'll say that the property is being allocated by to the LLC by the trust, and therefore the trust is the 100% member. Got it. Yeah. And then another question I got was, um, what strategies can be used to postpone foreclosure? We get a lot of these now with reverse mortgages and family takes too long to decide what to do. So what can be done to postpone a foreclosure in order to complete the probate sale when administering the state? God, these, these reverse mortgage companies are, are mercenary. They really are. I don't know if anybody here I'm insulting, but when there's a reverse mortgage on a property, it's, uh, it's when I say constant communication, that's obviously uh, an exaggeration, a gross exaggeration, but it is staying in their face saying, <clears throat> we're trying. We're yeah. trying to sell the property. And in yeah. the unlikely event, sometimes maybe the family wants to try to keep the property. So they're looking for financing. Mm -hmm. um, but most of the time the property is sold. And to try to keep the reverse mortgage company from just attacking with the foreclosure is almost a, again, an exaggeration, but a full-time job. It's like, no, look at the pictures of the for sale size or look at this or look at that. We're sending you the listing agreement. We're sending you the offers and per and so, um, and they're very passive aggressive. Uh, all of these persons who I talk to, they're like, they're like, well, you know, we understand that you're doing the best you can, but you know, we really have waited long enough for that. Um, Tom Selleck doesn't tell you this crap when he's promoting all that uh, reverse mortgage stuff uh, on that commercial that I have to turn off now on CNN and MSNBC. I'm so sick of that commercial that I, I literally turn it, I, I turn the channel. Yeah. No, I find them easier to work with. Being a former, being a lender myself. My oh, past okay. Then you uh, got, like, then you got the, you got the gift. <laughs> I think so. And Tom Sulk went to USC as a fellow Trojan. So I'm oh, okay. I will say that in all of the reverse mortgage dealings that I've had, I would say maybe just a small portion have just been, it's not supposed to be adversarial, but I'm just going to use that word. I would say that just a small portion have been non-adversarial, meaning that they've gotten along to go along and they understand and they're not putting pressure. The others are just relentless. Yeah, no, I, I, neither dealings. And, I, um, and it's not because I'm being a jerk on the phone. I'm being a nice, but they're just constant, constant, constant. So, okay. Um, and another question just to kind of summarize, because we're kind of getting to the end here real quick. Um, new business for you, a good referral for you would be what? Somebody's looking for a trust in, in a consult in a trust or maybe a, a probate, complicated oh, probate? Uh, yeah. the, 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 the field of trust in the states that I'm in, it covers a lot. It covers setting up trust, mm -hmm. um, carrying them out after people pass, preparing wills, doing the probate administrations, 
um, estate litigation, trust litigation, uh, preparing federal estate tax returns if the clients were rich enough and there's an estate tax that's owed at the time of death um, or ascertained at the time of death. Um, uh, conservatorships. I'm doing a few conservatorships. You know, I've, I've done a whole bunch of them. I just got two in this week. Um, conservatorships, guardianships, anything that's under the umbrella, general umbrella of trust in the states. That's what I do. I don't do bankruptcy. I don't do personal injury. Uh, what else is there? I don't do contract law. I, I and I've been doing some premarital agreements as well. Those are fun. Well, well, yeah. So yeah. just for the, for the audience, conservatorships are for somebody who can't manage their own affairs. The court will approve an entity to manage their affairs for them. Guardianships would be when that person's a minor. Correct. By law, they can't make agreements and such. And so they set up an entity called a guardianship to manage affairs for children. So if you know somebody injured, common mm -hmm. cases where car accidents or deaths of parents, and what do you do? And that's where we set up guardianships or somebody who's ill is conservatorships. That's great. Uh, last a quick word association for you. This is inside joke. Oh. Uh, for the rest of you, don't follow it. Clay Evans. I remind you, you're live on social media. Go ahead. Clay Evans. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, the master coach. <laughs> oh my. Clay Evans is the uh, found one of the two founders and, and head coach at Southern California Aquatics, which is a swim team that Jeff and I are part of. So I've known I've known Clay since his first day on the job coaching youth swimming um, in 1977. Wow. I've known him since 77. Wow. And he, he was a silver medalist in Olympics, I think in 1972 mm -hmm. for Canada. Yeah. Amazing, amazing coach. Yeah. Great. Um, well, look, um, Jeff, it's been a lot of fun. Now, uh, for those of you. I Are there any comments that you got that said, don't ever have this guy on again. He is a jerk. He loves himself and that he loves to hear himself talk or what a, you know, anything derogatory or negative. Well, you can tell me afterwards, but. Uh, um, Just me, actually. I typed that in the chat. Oh, okay. <laughs> you typed that in yourself. Okay. That sounds fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I got a lot of positives. Thanks. Very informative. A lot of good. If you I like it, so. put it in the chat box, any comments. And then those of you who watch this on YouTube, if you like it, like it. If you comments, put a comment in. I appreciate it. Subscribe to the account. Uh, Jeff Condon is a state planning attorney. He's based in Santa Monica, California. Website's Condon and Condon.net. I'll have that linked into the notes. And then he's on Amazon. If you just put in Amazon.com and uh, Jeffrey Condon, attorney, you get a whole whole slew of books that he's the author of. I'll put the link in our chat notes. I put them in the chat notes. And I'll put them in the YouTube as well. So if you want to reach him, best way, go to the website. Uh, if you want to read his books, go on Amazon, pick them up there. And then bring it to him when you bring a, a case and he'll sign the book for you, right? Absolutely, Bill. And just anybody who wants to chat with me, get me on the phone and just uh, talk with me about their particular situation, Zoom, whatever. There's no charge for that. No charge for that. Any brokers out there who have any uh, uh, questions they want to ask me, no charge for that. This is how I do it. There's no catch. You're not getting, there's no secret bill coming later on. This is how I do it, you know? Um, and, um, you know, hopefully it makes up for, the fact that uh, came across somewhat unprofessional during this uh, particular uh, chat. Not at all. Well, we're friends. We've known each other for yeah. a while now. And I appreciate, look, I really appreciate your time today helping other people. I appreciate your friendship uh, and, and the job that you do. I see you in court and I know that you're really one of the, one of the top 5% or one of the top 1% in your field. And I appreciate it professionally. I see one. So on behalf of everybody here today, if you like this, put a comment. We've got a bunch of thank yous. Jeff, thank you so much. I'll see you in the pool back at El Segundo when you're ready or in, 
when COVID, when they open back up again. I will see you mostly naked very soon, Bill Gross. Thank you. <laughs> I, I got a few fight-ons, by the way. I appreciate that. Thank you. For, for <laughs> Go Bruins. Go Bruins. <laughs> no weight claps. Bye. <laughs>